Hey everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli, the Queen of Maine, and you know what? I got my own podcast. Yeah, does everyone have one? Pretty much, but mine's different because I'm going to help you like I help myself. Get Stuffed with Lisa Lampanelli every week is going to teach you how to have the fabulous life that I have. If you don't listen, you're just stupid and don't want to help yourself. So don't even listen. I don't even want you to. But if you do, if you disobey my orders and listen, you can go to feralaudio.com or download it from iTunes. But again, don't listen. I don't even care. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. My name is Robert Patrick. I play Gary Tyson. That's Gary Tyson with an I in the film Last Rampage. Evil broke loose in 1978. Arizona State Penitentiary. You know, that was interesting. What, what, what it was like playing a real person as opposed to a, a fictional character. It was really trying to wrap your head around how this guy could do some of the things that he could do. That was the the things that you were drawn on. Of course, I, I, there was no way you're going to try to do an impersonation of a guy, nor was I going to try to, you know, get as heavy as the guy. Uh, I didn't have enough time to really go that route. But I, I, you know, I found him really, really interested in trying to live up to the charisma that he had. I fell in love with the folklore of the story, like there, you know, the the whole idea that he was a guy that was raised uh, during the Great Depression. See that, from a historical point of view, those kind of stories resonate with me. That yearning for something better, trying to find it, have to steal to get it. How do you deal with that if you're a religious person? You know, how do you run underneath that? How do you justify it? He had a double life sentence that he began to push his wife and his kids to say, God, you know, I'm going to serve one term, and when I die, I'm going to serve another term in hell. Uh, I got to get out of this. And, and the, the, the link that he was willing to uh, uh, go to to get his kids to help him get through this and get him out of prison was, it was fascinating to me. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Hello, welcome to the X-Files Files. Our guest today is Chris Weitz, who is a writer, director, he's writing one of the new Star Wars movies, and I am a big fan of this guy. Um, I was very excited when he contacted me on Twitter, and I was like, is this the Chris Weitz that I know? I mean, uh, so I was really, really excited to talk to him because he's worked on a lot of great stuff. He 
uh, American Pie, which is a movie I, I truly, truly love, About a Boy, which is also a fantastic movie. Um, and he's written a lot of great stuff, and he's just a great filmmaker who has a lot of different range and can do a lot of different things. So I was really kind of geeked to meet him and talk to him. And so this episode, um, we talk about musings of a cigarette smoking man, but I do spend some time just talking about general filmmaking stuff with him, just because I was really interested in that stuff, and it's stuff that I obviously don't know a lot about, certainly a lot less than him. So, you know, I talk a lot about, like, um, I don't know, camera stuff and things like that, but obviously we, we really, really do really get into... Uh, X-Files a lot, but I'm just warning you that there's a couple small digressions into general filmmaking stuff that I think should be interesting to you guys. It's certainly interesting to me, um, and we do relate it to the X-Files, but um, yeah, so enjoy Chris White's. Oh, and I had to um, very quickly run out of town. And so I'm going to try and record a podcast next week. I don't know if I'll be able to uh, because something kind of crazy happened. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try. But if you don't get an episode next week or the week after next, just know that I'm back and I'm on schedule. It's just something very, very unexpected happened. Unpredictable. Um, Maybe since I'm here on my own, I will record an episode just about my experience shooting the X-Files or something. Um, that, that could be next week. So actually, let me know if you guys would like to hear that for next week. Otherwise, as um, soon as I'm back in the country, uh, I'll go right back to the schedule I have of guests lined up for the next few episodes. So, Oh, I should mention I have a little East Coast stand-up tour coming. And you guys should definitely, definitely come to these shows. I am doing the Trocadero in Philadelphia on September 10th. That's the Trocadero in Philadelphia, September 10th. I'm doing the Wilbur in Boston, September 11th. I'm doing... It's hard to say that date. It's not a viable date anymore. Anyway, Wilbur, I mean Wilbur, Boston, September 11th. And then the Lincoln Theater in D.C., September 12th. And the Skirball Center in New York on uh, November 14th. So that one's kind of far away. But the, uh, to recap, September 10th, Philadelphia Trocadero. September 11th, Boston, the Wilbur. September 12th, Washington, D.C., Lincoln Theater. Come out, say hi. I'll do, you know, um, yeah, bring some stuff. Say hi. Um, all right. Uh, bye, guys. No, no, not bye. Hi. The episode is just starting. Here. Hey, welcome to the X-Files Files. Very excited to have uh, Chris Weitz here. Hey. How's it going? It's going really well. It's really hot, we should say. I'm so sorry. No, it no, it's not really your hot. fault. It's, it's God. Yes. Well, there is no God. But I did have the AC going as soon as you turned <laughs> it off. Maybe that's why it's so hot. There's <laughs> yeah. no God. Yeah, no, Satan is running things. Yeah. This is hell. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours. I was very excited Thank when you, you tweeted at me. It's mutual. I was so excited. I mean, Twitter has, that's, this is like the best thing Twitter has ever given me. A chance to be on the x Oh, really? Because I've uh, listened. I've listened to all the episodes and I love it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love, I was just talking to my friend about American Pie the other day. How it's a, it came at such a perfect time. It's so funny. And it 
kind of ruined comedies for a while in a way that a lot um, of good comedy stuff does. I think that that uh, people, or at least the, the stu studios kind of perceived that, that what was funny about it was the gross out stuff. And so I think for a few years, there was nothing but feces and snot right and various fluids kind of flying at cameras everywhere which yeah. wasn't really I mean that wasn't really what my brother and I were particularly into no anyway uh, and, and I think that you know the reason it worked was the, was the actors and, and the, the sort of the, the heart to it as well yeah obviously yeah. there are big set pieces and stuff yeah but there were I think for a little while a lot of um, like set pieces strung together in search of uh, in search of a movie uh, after that yeah, because it's not about a guy fucking a pie. It's the frustration of not of not being able to have sex, which is yes. the That's most universal. Yeah, it's the most Positive. relatable thing in the world. Yeah, even like the people who have the most sex are moments where they're like, "Man, I wish I could be having sex right now." <laughs> even the people who are, are having the most sex want more. Yeah. Um, well, and all, but the funny thing is, like, it, I I went to uh, I probably had a similar educational experience to you because I went to sixth form in England, right? So I, I was oh. not in the because you went to you went to high school in Pakistan. Yes. Right? Okay. So you probably took A levels and all. Yes. That. So I did all I, levels, A levels. There we go. Okay, I took A levels. Um, and I didn't know anything about proms or I didn't know anything about co-education. I mean, I was in boys' school until oh, wow. college. Uh, so it, yeah, but it did appeal to me on that basic level. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I remember those old days by the locker. You know, we didn't have lockers. Yeah, neither uh, did I. Yeah, it, it, so there are all these kind of tropes of high school movies that I really kind of didn't understand. Yeah, and I wasn't a big John Hughes fan, and I wasn't a big, um, you know, I, I loved. Uh, I, uh, Fast Times Original High. That was like the signal sort of sex comedy for me set in high school. But the other ones I didn't really know. Uh, however, yeah, it was really identifiable. It was great. Because the thing about sex comedies is they're not really about sex. They're about kids becoming adults or yeah. figuring out what kind of grown-ups they're going to be next I, phase of their lives. Yeah, I think so. It's about growing and it's about shame too, uh, which is um, like... There aren't many movies uh, about shame, <laughs> nor should there necessarily be. <laughs> but, but I mean, really, there, it was about humiliation. All of American Pie was about humiliation, but but also sort of uh, being able to to get past it. Like just that that life at a certain juncture is horribly embarrassing, uh, and uh, and but it's really funny to view it from a certain distance. Yeah, totally. I mean, when you're going through it, you're like, this is never going to end. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die without ever having had sex. Because really, yeah. what happens is you get the urge, but none of the skills to procure it. And you have acne and your <laughs> Those, voice is yeah. weird. The skills won't come for about 20 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you're, you probably, people probably get to have sex before they really deserve it based upon their skill level. Anyway. Right. So, right. Uh, so it's just a lot of confusion and awkwardness. And uh, yeah. Oh, my dear. And I think American Pie really got to that in a very, very funny way. And, uh, I mean, it created a lot of, like, you know, Jason Biggs and yeah. Sean William Scott and all these guys. Um, that was so cool. I mean, really, uh, so most of the actors were doing their first movie um, or their first movie of kind of of any uh, note. And that was that was a lot of fun because nobody really knew what they were doing. And... and it was the most fun I've ever had making a movie because we didn't know what could go wrong. Yeah. Like it was so, uh, it, it was just a kind of a charmed uh, experience. And then it was later that that, um, that it got incredibly stressful on, on other movies. Um, but like Sean Scott um, was working at Home Depot when he auditioned. No way. He shot the movie, 
uh, and went back to Home Depot to work. <laughs> because he didn't know if he was going to oh, you know, yeah. get another gig. Oh, yeah. And then he was the kind of breakout character. Oh, he's Stifler. Yeah. People, most people still know him as Stifler. <laughs> um, and About a Boy is one of my favorite movies. I have a huge, you'll never meet a bigger Hugh Grant fan than me. I was watching Four Weddings and the Funeral today. Oh. And um, huge, huge fan. And I think Four Weddings and About a Boy are his two, like, classics yeah and yours oh thanks i mean yeah about a boy i think it's probably it's in my experience closer to his um kind of personality uh than than anything i've ever seen him in which is to say he's not a kind of mumbly bumbling guy with floppy hair no he's he's a kind of dark um smooth funny yeah he's smooth but he's also like quite witty but he's also sort of um self-deprecating and and uh disturbed kind yeah of. he's like he he uh he grapples with life uh and we uh, yeah he was that was uh, it was great to get to know him actually on that on that movie it's kind of the ideal uh that you have in your mind about working with a movie star when you make a movie which is like oh we're gonna we're gonna make this movie and then we'll go out drinking and then we'll be friends you know and it is like that's it what was, happened i'd say it was like that with you uh and it's never been like that with anybody else again <laughs> nobody else wants to hang out with us but uh yeah that was cool and and, and it is far and away pe- sort of the, the movie that people uh, like most uh, that, that we've done i think as a matter of fact every time we make a new movie it usually the interview will start like ah, love about a boy which <laughs> to, we take as meaning my brother and i like what have you done <laughs> lately and why isn't the movie that we're talking about right now as good as that um but such as this life it was great yeah, I mean, it's hard, you know, I mean, you did a Twilight movie. Twilight I didn't see, film. I haven't seen any of the Twilight You're movies. You're not a They're not, I, I'm not, I, didn't take I don't think they're for me, right? No. Is no. it good, the one you did? Do you like it? Yes. Is it good? I think it is. I don't know, it's not for me to say, of course. Uh, yeah, I think as, as far as those movies go, it was great. And, uh, and I love the kids, and um, I have a lovely house. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, and I actually, I, I really, really like Stephanie Meyer, and I, I had a great time working with everybody. But it wasn't, of course, the, the first thing that I would that I thought of doing. Um, it was, uh, it was just sort of the right thing to do at, at the right time. You have a very eclectic career. You've done a lot of different kinds of things, and that Twilight is very different from About a Boy, which is very different from American Pie, which yeah. is very different from you just wrote Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah, Star Wars Anthology Rogue One, I think. Is that what it's called? It is called, yeah, there was some sort of discussion as to what they would be called to sort of separate themselves from the from the saga. Yeah. And Anthology was the word they came up with, which to me sounds like it's going to be a series of vignettes. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. Yeah. It's an actual whole movie. It's one movie. It's yeah. not like Tales from the Crypt or anything. No, exactly. That's what it sort of brings up, like Bordello of Blood. Star Wars Bordello of Blood. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I remember Bordello saw. of Blood. That was, that was part of the uh, Tales from the Crypt series. I I'll say Demon Knight, which is the first one. Yeah. It's okay. really good. Yeah. It's yeah. got, um, what's his name? William... Sanders, what's his name? He's a good, really good actor. Maybe Billy Sanders Zane's in it. Yeah, Billy Zane. Oh, maybe Jada that's Pink what I saw. It. Yeah, it's okay. They're sort of they're stuck in a house. Yeah, and, uh, and they get guns from the from the post from the postal worker. I believe I so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Bordello okay. of Blood is Dennis. Bordello Miller. of Blood is different. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen Bordello of Blood. Yeah, Bordello of Blood is a vampire. Um, but so that must have been fun writing Star Wars. You were saying that you it's been saw it. 
I saw it 19 times in original release. I saw it when I was seven. You uh, saw it 19 time. times when you yeah. were seven? Yeah. So yeah, that then you had to go to the theater and they didn't have... This was before VHS, I think. It's 77, yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, an unlimited number of times uh, since. Uh, but yeah, so I was a true believer. It really dominated my childhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and so if you get a chance to work on a Star Wars film, you just sort of jump. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Is it, is it weird? So you're a kid, you watch Star Wars, it changes you, it gets inside you, it's part of your DNA, it's part yeah. of who you are, you've been a fan of it your whole life. And now the fact that you get to contribute to this world that is so important to you, it, I can't even say it's important to you, it's like part of who yeah. you are. Yeah. Is that for you, obviously it's challenging and I'm sure it's nerve wracking, but is it it's because it's, I know some people will be like, "Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just want to enjoy it." Right? What was it like for you? Was it terrifying? Was um, it, I think it wasn't terrifying, um, and I, because there is a certain lowering of the bar that is taken. Place. <laughs> <laughs> that is as much as I will say. I mean, what so, could you be talking about? I, don't like, <laughs> I thought Clone Wars, the cartoon show, is great. No, I mean, uh, so you just kind of think, well, okay, I, I can do this. Um, it is, it's daunting. I suppose, like you, you don't necessarily want to want to. I, I mean, you hesitate to go into that terrain, right? Because once you write, uh, uh, yeah, you, you don't want to see the sausage factory. Okay. Right. Uh, because then you, you you enjoy the sausage less. For instance, I won't be able to enjoy this episode of the X Files files because I can't stand <laughs> my voice. And there's probably a similar thing in terms of my own writing where I'm like, ah, that's bullshit. I made it up. <laughs> you know, like I, I never really believe characters that I make that I write because I sort of was doing it. So and I, you, you remember know. where you were when you wrote that? So yeah. It's a different experience for you. I mean, I'm definitely not one of these guys who's like, I don't know where it comes from. It just, you know, <laughs> maybe it's some connection to yeah, like, yeah, to was, something out there. It's like yeah. not. I, I made it up, uh, and it's not like I'm not glib about it, and, and I certainly work hard at it. And there are moments of sort of inspiration, but yeah, you, you know, I see inside this movie. Um, it's been really, but but everybody, I, everybody on this cares so much about getting it right. That's really cool to see all the people who are working hard on it and the amount of craft that's brought to it. Um, but I also feel like, in a way, the the fan culture has, you know, okay, it has sort of spoiled it a bit. Which is to say, I'm a fan like anybody else. I'm really, really into it. But everybody is so into it and it's been picked to pieces so many times. And I don't just mean spoilers, but I mean like when the image of Darth Vader is absolutely everywhere, it loses a certain amount of charge, right? Right. When, when, when he's like uh, doing sort of crossovers on peanuts and stuff or whatever. Actually, sure. Been there, but it's like, oh, uh, all it's right. It's become like a shortcut for evil rather than a specific character. Right. Yeah. So like when, when I saw it the first time. He's I, like science fiction Hitler. He is. <laughs> um, beloved, like Hitler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he has some good ideas. Anyway. Everybody's favorite. Like, Hitler. Um, you know, like I, I remember seeing it, the first, sitting down and seeing it in the, in the theater the first time. I didn't know it was going to come through that hatch in, in the, you know, the rebel blockade. Uh -huh. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Um, and now you sort of know what to expect or you know what to think you might expect. Um, yeah. And, and so I sort of felt like taking the step into actually writing it wasn't a huge, uh, a huge bummer because I sort of like, okay, oh, I know by now that they're movies and yeah. they don't come from someplace outside of human 
existence. Yeah, I always think of that. Like, I listen to a lot of commentaries on movies I like, right. and for me, that really demystifies it because it can be. Yeah. You know, when you were a kid, you probably when you watched Star Wars, you weren't like, oh, they made this. You were like, this is a crazy world that just sprung into being and it's this magical thing. And then as you read about George Lucas or these people, you realize like, oh, at one point they were just kids who right. were really into serial adventure stuff, yeah. radio plays and whatever, just like how one time you were a kid who really liked Star Wars. So, so it demystifies the, the process for me to sort of think of it like that. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it is hard, like, you know, once you start writing, when you're watching a movie, you're like, all right, that's the theme of the movie, that's yeah. this, oh, now we're going into act two. Uh, so it can be sort of uh, interesting, but, but I think at some level it makes me appreciate movies more too definitely it turns it into turns it into a different sort of appreciation of, uh, of effort and 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 craft and technique but still there are things that are kind of ineffable and wonderful wonderful that you see like certain performances where, where you're absolutely blown away right or um you know bits of daring uh you know when it, I, I think it sort of probably raises the the uh, tolerance for uh kind of cinema to get to you but when it does it's still it's still amazing yeah totally totally and i still you know when i watch movies i i hope to be blown away every time and i do yeah. a lot of times i'm blown away it's a good thing i mean yeah really good stuff and then there's great tv and it's uh, you know actually though sometimes i sort of feel like i've, I've lost my religion a bit with movies and i i, I kind of want to address it in some way like i think if I ever can, I want for a year of my life to watch one movie a day and just give time over to that and to thinking about it. Because I don't, well, first of all, I have three children uh, and, and I don't get to go out to movies in the theater anymore, which is the yeah. way that they should be seen. You want to see yes. the biggest screen possible. Um, uh, and that's actually kind of going out the window nowadays. Yeah. Really like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that uh, uh, David Lynch thing where he's talking about watching movies on... On the phone. The, on the phone. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do feel as though I've been in the sausage factory for a while. Yeah. And I want to I, I just go to Germany and eat some sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. Yeah. I have these, because I do a podcast about video games as well. Yeah. And I have these things where I'm like, for one year, I just want to play video games. I've actually thought that exact thing. Uh -huh. I want to do this where... The, the video games that I played when I was a kid that I never, never got to beat, I want to go back and beat them. The reality is you're never going to watch a year of movies and do nothing else. I'm never going to I'm not going to get away with it. You seem like someone who's very motivated and it feels like you'll get an idea for a movie three months in and then you'll start working on that. That would be good. That would be a good way to, like, to prove to myself that I actually can. The way that I actually get motivated is I will convince someone that I can do something, sign a contract, and then I'll go like, oh, shit. <laughs> what have I, I done? I was <laughs> like, basically, my main motivator is, is, uh, is fear of exposure. Yeah. Um, so it would be good to just do something off my own bat. But anyhow, that's enough about me. <laughs> well, let's talk about... So when, yeah. we, when we tweeted at each other, I emailed you. This was months ago. I sort of... I uh, hadn't done this podcast in a while. Yeah. Because... I was uh, complaining. Well, were you were you complaining? Yeah. I, as soon as I found out I was going to be on the show, I'd known for two months. I didn't watch a single episode in that time because I didn't 
one, two, freak out. And I wanted to right. treat it like a regular job and not like, oh you know, God. Star Wars that I watched when I was seven. Right. So I wanted to take a little bit of its power away just so I could <laughs> do the job. Yeah. And then I watched yeah. an episode on the plane on the way back. I watched, um, I watched this one and I watched another one. Uh, so, so I emailed you and you said you wanted to talk about musings of a cigarette smoking man. No, you said that. Oh, did yeah, I? You chose it for me. But I know, I think I said any, any, any old one would be great, but, but you felt a connection. Okay. And I was very happy to. Did you, do you like this episode? I do like this episode a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's kind of an outlier. It's, yes. it's a curious episode. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, at this point in the series, they've done so many, uh, they've done so many of the sort of standard alien ones, the monster of the week yeah. ones. And this is Glenn Morgan and James Wong collaborating again, who are sort of, you know, who created the DNA of the show. They know it mm -hmm. well enough that they can deconstruct it and still have it be the show. Yeah, That's what this episode is. They're riffing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think one of the things I like about the episode is I, I just love, uh, an actor who comes in for a very small role and then gets little by little sort of expanded into this whole, you know, big, hugely influential character. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. Um, in the first episode, he has no lines and he's just in the background. He's just kind of hanging out in yeah. the corner while... While Scully's being interviewed, right? They, yeah. they, I think they cut back to archival footage. Yeah, from season one, it's yeah. she's being briefed on Mulder and basically saying, "Hey, you're gonna snoop on this person. That's yes. your job." And he's just there in the background. And when they brought him back, they gave him a scene. The, the first time they gave him a real scene was in season one, but he had like a real exchange, and they were really worried. They were like, "I don't know if he can act. We know he can look right. good smoking a cigarette." Right. Yeah, he ha he has a great face. And he has a kind of a waxy pallor. Yeah. <laughs> really, for some reason, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's, cigarettes being identified with evil. Yes. Um, or like, he's known as cancer man, but also cigarette smoking man. It's kind of yeah. blaming the victim. Like, this poor guy's going to die of cancer. Yeah. So there must be something evil about that. We have to, we have to shun it. Well, that, that, that is interesting. There's also a little bit of, you know, like a suicide wish a little bit. It's yes. Like he's like sort of, because he takes them up in this episode. You see him take them up. Now, there's right. a lot of prequel stuff that happens that I usually don't like. Like, for instance, um, I love the Indiana Jones movies. Right. I don't love that in uh, uh, the third one, yes. you see him in one afternoon, get his hat, his fear of snakes, and the scar on his chin. Yeah, it, th that kind of um, sort of tying off the loops. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It's, it's like a, it's a cheap thrill in a way, because like in the moment it's pleasurable. Yes. And then it takes some of the, the, the electricity out of it. Yes. So to find out the cigarette smoking man you know, had anxiety and yeah. smoked like yeah. everyone else who yeah. smokes is kind of not as right. Crazy. Yeah, he smokes because he's nervous. Right. Yeah, like you sort of us. wanted him to have some speech where he's like, you know, I smoke because life is meaningless. Yeah. And, I mean, he has that later with, with the chocolate. With the chocolates, box, yeah. Which also, it kind of dates it weirdly, I think. The Forrest Gump. I can see the appeal of writing that line. Like, I feel as though one of the guys in the room wrote that line. Like one of the comedy, the more comedy inclined guys. Life is like a box of chocolates, you know, and, yeah. and he sort of says, because it's, it's crap you don't pretty, want. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty well-written whole thing. It's an, it's a good uh, thesis statement for mm -hmm. the character. 
Yes. It clearly dates it. It really situates yeah. it in the mid nineties. Yes. So it says a, a cheap, thoughtless, perfunctory gift that nobody ever asked for. Unreturnable because all you get back is another box of chocolates. So you're stuck with this undefinable whipped mint crap that you mindlessly wolf down when there's nothing else left to eat. Sure, once in a while there's a peanut butter cup or an English toffee. I guess for him that would be... That would be like um, moments of triumph for yeah, when, when the Ruskies are, are dealt a yeah. black eye. Well, that's a great moment because it's they're like, there are no more bad guys. That, that, I liked the line, there are no more Russians. Or there, yeah. there, there, aren't, any, there aren't Russians anymore. Yeah, kinda, and it's like, that's I don't... That's a nice one. I don't... It's that thing. I was like, "Well, I've done my job. What do I do?" But by then, in the chronology of the show, didn't he know already that there were aliens? Yes, he knows about aliens. He doesn't know about Mulder, like right, trying okay. to uncover the conspiracy. Right. So then he sort of—that's why he gets engaged in the X Files because now he has another quote-unquote enemy, which is Fox Mulder. Right. Yes, There's yes. Also, the whole thing to this episode, and I read about this on the message boards, and I read some interviews with Glenn Morgan, James Wong, and Chris Carter about this episode. Hmm. A lot of it is, um, there's some discussion over how much of it's canon and how much of it isn't. Because right. there's a way to interpret it that it's Frohiki from Lone Gunman is telling the story. So you're seeing visualization of what he's saying. Yes. Rather yeah. than what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff uh, that's, that's kept a little vague on purpose. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I see. They, they have the kind of the get out of jail free card of yes. being in Frohiki's voice. And of course, it's not really the musings of a cigarette smoking man, unless Frohiki smokes. Am I... Have we ever oh, seen Frohiki smoke? No. Perhaps, it, I mean, it is a misnamed episode, perhaps. I will say, I found this. It was called Memories of a Cigarette Smoking Man. Uh-huh. And Glenn Morgan, James Wong versus Chris Carter, there was a big argument because Chris, apparently, when he first saw the episode, didn't love it, didn't like that it demystified a character, right. didn't like that it spelled out a lot of this stuff. So he changed the name to make it sort of feel like it didn't have to be canon. That it's musings rather than memories or memoirs. Got it. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So that's what that was. I gotta say, Frohickey was not doing his voiceover very enthusiastic. <laughs> that was one, like, one sort of directory feeling I had. It was like, come on, man. Well, you know, he give was... Me, give me something. Not an actor. He was an AD on the show. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he was okay. hired. Well, now that's, then I'm, I just feel like I'm beating up on somebody now. Yeah. He's supposed to die at the end of this episode. That's right. And they changed it because they because they were going to have a lone gunman series or because no they just thought- well uh chris carter so glenn morgan and james wong had created the lone gunman yeah and this was like towards the end of their x-files run and it was a little bit it seemed like them being like well we can kind of do what we want with these characters uh-huh. chris carter knew that the lone gunman were very very popular characters and stand in yes. for the audience in a right. way right so there's a it's interesting. So then he changes the ending, right? So that Froiki doesn't die. I can kill you anytime I want. But yes. Gonna, making it like the most pointless trip to a warehouse <laughs> ever. Like, I mean, yeah. the, the number of times this guy goes, sits down and sets up a sniper rifle. Yeah. You know, like, ah, here it I am again. Fight, right? he does, yeah. But it's interesting that then the character of Cigarette Smoking Man reads his story in the journal and they've yes. changed the ending of it. Oh, and that's it's, good. I hadn't thought of that. That's yeah, I, I like so that. So it could be a comment on that. And here, this is a very interesting thing I found, is that, um, oh man, I hope I have it here somewhere. Oh, here we go. Um, this is from um, a website called Eat the Corn. 
And uh, what they so, so Carter basically said that you can't kill Frohiki. So Morgan called Wong up, who was the director, and he told him to, in Vancouver to take a few crew members while everyone else was at lunch and get some shots of blood splattering on the sign to the lone gunman offices. Just do it secretly. And he, was then trying to, he was trying to back them into a corner. Yeah. And right. then Wong said he decided against the stealth approach. Instead, he filmed the whole shot. He filmed William B. Davis pulling on the trigger, Frohiki getting shot in the head. And then Morgan, when he heard about it, panicked because he was like, Chris Carter's oh. going to find out and do something. And his fears were justified because they were in the editing room and they said to the editor, hey, let's, let's put that scene in. Right. And that scene had disappeared from the lab. <laughs> <laughs> in an X-Files move, the scene had been taken out of the lab. They never found it. And um, so then they had to use the version that where he doesn't die. That's kind of great. Oh, so, okay, so this would have been 1990s. They, yeah, they might have been editing on film at that point. Yeah. Because that was right around when Avid's came in. Wait, no, what year, what year was this This is 96. 96, that could, yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, that they could says, have just yanked the film. Just print the B negative, the, uh, it says. Do you know what B negative is? That's what it says. Yeah. Just print the B negative, so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was gone. And then they, they, they didn't give up. They, they put up pieces of green board behind the editing building and started like splattering blood on it to see if they could make it work. But uh, they just could never figure yeah, it out. It's just like cloak and dagger uh, yeah. stuff. And so I think it's probably best that he doesn't blow Frohiki's brains out. Because I, for that matter, if he did, right, that would certainly make you think that the version of events presented was the truth. Yes. Uh, that would cement it. Yes, and it's also interesting because it seems like one of the... Uh, uh, rules of the X-Files is that big character, big sort of these things that sort of affect the X-Files world in a big way only happen in mythology episodes and this right. one is sort of an outlier. Right. It's a weird episode in that it starts off very very serious and then it sort of gets strangely farcical. It gets farcical yeah. as it goes, yeah. Which, which I think is, is tough to do when you have JFK and Martin Luther King dying. dying. It's hard to go from that to, yeah. to goofiness. Yeah. And I'm afraid I do, like, the cigarette smoking man secretly wanting to write um, thrillers yeah. is, is problematic. <laughs> like, that this man, this hard-bitten, cynical man yeah. who's killed two major world leaders and essentially made the 60s happen, uh, you know, will really just be happy and will stop killing people. It's like saying if Darth Vader had, like, I don't know. What would he have done? If he was in a pod race when he was yeah, a kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only. Wait. Um, uh, but, uh, but okay. Raoul Bloodworth. Yes. But and this was a very sort of pre-internet-y kind of feeling. Although it wasn't pre-internet, it was it. But he did look up the, the, the magazine that he sent the... the the story oh. too, because he would have known that it was a schlocky publication. Yeah, he's really surprised. Wow. Yeah, uh, what's it called? It's got a fun name. Oh, uh, uh, Romana Clef. Romana Clef. Yeah. Another weird thing: the character Jack Colquitt that he um, created, who's the protagonist of his book, is the name of an investigator in American Horror Story season one. Uh -huh. It seems like clearly a reference because it is a detective, and I think his character is a detective. The thing that I will say. Um, maybe him wanting to be an author is a little on the nose, but he seems like a character in this who is cynical and everything. 
But there's a couple of things about him. One, he seems very loyal to his country. Everything mm -hmm. he's doing, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And also, he, that chocolate speech that he gives makes you think that he's a little less cynical than he lets on. That he, that there is this sort of other uh, aspect to him inside that he kind of does just want, well, one thing he really wants is recognition for what he's doing, right? Right. There's yes, a, okay. There's a, there's a scene where he's with, the scene uh, where he's with uh, Deep Throat when they kill the alien, he's, yeah. he says, um, we'll never have monuments put up of us. Right. It's just, again, Two men in the shadows are deciding yes. uh, history. Yes. It's, okay, it's, so maybe maybe Jack Colquitt, although we don't really see inside. So when we do see the occasional bit of typing, it, it's, it's sort of, it makes it seem like Jack Colquitt is a sort of a Sam Spade. Type. Yes. But maybe really what he's telling his own story yes. in such a way that somebody will eventually see it. Well, there's one way to see it is that it's um, the, the stuff that Froke is talking about is right. sort of from that magazine. I don't know if I buy that, but that's an interpretation that a lot of people on the message board had. Okay, yes, all right. But they didn't go full meta by saying, by having, um, uh, you know, you could have had the, you could have had somebody reading Roman Clough and being like, ha, this kind of nonsense. One yeah. guy killed JFK and Martin Luther King. Right, they didn't do that. Break. They didn't go They didn't, they didn't go do there. that. They didn't yeah. go there. I mean, it's interesting. Like, so I saw the influence, as many people will no doubt, uh, of two movies in this: JFK, yes. right? There's, yes. There's, and and uh, and Apocalypse Now, because there's the smoky, smoky office room scene at the beginning. Uh -huh. There's the terminate with with extreme prejudice yes. moment, and and but that's also a bit. You, there's sort of characters kind of yanked out of JFK as well, like yes, like the the embittered Cubans who who will say one very angry. Uh, uh, anti-revolutionary line. Yes. Viva la libertad. Yeah. Like the, right, like, right, right, right. Like the guy, was, you know, that was his audition for JFK. <laughs> he, he didn't get. He didn't get it. But he was like, "Oh man, I already know the sides." Yeah. For this one, it's interesting. JFK had such, such that movie cast such like a. Uh, on American pop culture in the 90s, such a shadow because there's Seinfeld had a whole episode uh -huh. about it, and this yeah. is clearly referencing it. It's a real, it's an incredibly well, it's an incredibly entertaining movie, JFK, right? Like the, it's ed the editing, the kind of mixture of different uh, film stocks, and, and the, the, I mean, it's an incredibly propulsive movie. Yeah. Uh, like whether I can, can can uh, can buy it or not? Yeah, another question entirely. But yeah, I can see how it'd be very very influential. Yeah, and it's very compelling. Like I mean, part of the reason that the X Files is so compelling is the same reason why JFK is so compelling because people want there to be conspiracy theories because it means that there's a structure to our right. world. You know that things aren't just happening in a way that is, a randomness is scarier than evil puppet masters. I think. Yes. You want capable people to be making things happen. You want there to be some some even vision. If it's terrible. Yes, even if it's uh, terrible, you want there to be some like somebody sorting it out. Yeah, some decisions are being made somewhere. It's not just <laughs> that crazy shit is happening and we're like trying to put meaning to it. You know? Yeah, we would rather have alien invasion than, uh, than yeah. randomness. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think that's why, like, you know, it's compelling all the 9-11 conspiracy theories. It's not just an evil yeah. outside. It's like, oh, no, there's a whole planet work here. We, we just yeah. don't know it. Yeah. Um, 
And that's what, you know, that's what's compelling about philosophy or religion or anything that tries to make sense of the world. Yes. And I think this episode directly contradicts that and deflates it a little bit. Like, that's what it's sort of puncturing the whole, a little bit of the X-Files itself by being like, by being, I think, purposefully a little crazy that one guy did all this stuff. Like, is this what you think uh, is happening? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do always find it a, a little... It, it's sort of strange that that all of these well so you, you have to accept if you, if you take this as, as gospel truth like one guy killed kennedy and martin luther king p.s alien invasion yes everything also, is happening while they're saying oh, we want you to assassinate martin luther king they're not like listen i know that you're really preoccupied you're like i know that they're aliens okay let's put that aside we're not talking about that right now yeah you know? well, i guess they cut in after that part yeah like, alien update you know and they're talking about uh that's very funny students student unrest yeah aliens yeah, yeah. i like that they're like listen we know you have a lot on your plate right now with the impending alien invasion blah 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 anyway the oscars are happening who do you yeah. want to win yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the point where it really obviously goes farcical when it's talking it's about the meeting. Super Bowl. They're talking about the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're getting in because I think when, when that happens, like you can, the hand of individual writers shows through. Like you can, I can clearly tell something like, and he doesn't want the Bills to win. That's why they keep on blowing it. You yeah. Know? Uh, and so you start, th then it starts to feel like something. I mean, I, ideally you see uh, a great TV show, a great movie, and it feels like something that was not made by human hands. In a way. Right. Like you see sure. the people within. Obviously, there are people there. On some level, you know, actors, director, camera, all this kind of stuff. Right. But it has a sort of vivid reality of its own. And then when you start seeing it... it with, I think, you know, sometimes you see writers in the way that you might see, like, a boom get into a shot or something like that. You're sure. like, oh, they were trying to do that. This was, uh -huh. this was part of what they were doing that started showing through. But it's also harder for you to not look at that stuff because it's what you do. Yes, yeah, it's you, terrible. You, yeah, you, the sausage factor. You see yeah. how the sausages are made. And I mm -hmm. think with that, it seems to me they were purposefully commenting on the fact a little bit that it's, it's I mean you know it's structured in a way that not many X-Files episodes are there's mm. act one act two part one part two part three part four yeah. each has a name so it's definitely structured it's not trying to make you forget that you're watching a TV show it's in fact it's calling attention to that fact several times with those cards True. right yes and um, and I think what it's doing it seemed to me is taking the idea of because clearly these guys are reading a lot about conspiracy theories and stuff. And it seems to me that the writers don't agree. They think it's a little kooky to believe these conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. And I think it's, what they're doing is taking it to its illogical extreme where it's like, well, well, then how much of this do you believe? Right. Uh, the Anita Hill thing, the... Uh, you know all that stuff I think it is funny when Saddam Hussein calls and he's like I'll call him back later <laughs> yeah someone too yeah and then, it's <laughs> and then Gorbachev has resigned maybe Saddam was calling about that yeah hey did you, you hear heard? about Gorbachev listen <laughs> I just spoke to Mikhail yeah and really can we have the bills win once I just I've got my hats I've got everything what's the line on the bills yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that yes, okay. So things go into a, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way. They go into a farcical. Yes. They, they go in a farcical direction. Uh, uh, but do you think that the the sort of the, the tone is smooth enough that you don't like? Certainly, it takes a turn. Yes. Right? But I suppose what I'm saying is like it is that the chunks in the Rocky Road ice cream yeah. are are too hard. 
Well, and it's I think, no longer a good ice cream experience. Well, what you said earlier that I think is is true. It can. It's very hard to go from you know shooting JFK, right? Shooting Martin Luther King, showing a picture of everyone pointing yeah, at the, the shooter. Yeah. That image is so powerful and so heartbreaking and so loaded, right? I mean, we we know how obviously what a big, huge heartbreaking moment that was right to go from that like you said to who's going to win the oscars can be tough what's in their favor is that there's an ad break in the middle right so you yes. know you, you, which on netflix of course you don't have so you, you don't, don't have through. Yeah. so there's a bit of a palate cleanser that happens there. Well, there's something farcical about ads anyway like yes that, that you're sort of in with the network i guess with cable as well like you're sort of saying um take this seriously and then for five minutes, it's oh, yeah. completely preposterous. I make, I, I've talked about this before, but one of my shows, favorite shows right now is Hannibal. I really like uh -huh. Hannibal. Yeah, yes, I know exactly what, like, something's really intense. Yeah. And then those, like, yeah. ads will pop up, like, America, Biggest Loser, or whatever the <laughs> fuck. The Voice, I don't know, whichever ones are on NBC. Right. I remember one, I, like, I, like, took a, because it was, like, a beautifully framed shot of, like, mm -hmm. slow motion water or blood mixing in water. It was perfectly composed right. and then just a huge lower third of some <laughs> garish bullshit someone dancing on the bottom oh of the so gross yeah. yeah but but i mean that's what's hard right i mean it's something obviously you you know is that we all want to be artists and we're trying to make good stuff ultimately it is a commercial enterprise right like sure. movies tv shows more obviously so but movies you try and do the best job you can but if your movies don't make money ultimately no matter how beautiful the work you've made is, it's considered unsuccessful. And movies are incredibly expensive, the most expensive art form I can think of. So that the, the sort of impetus to get the money back, that, that's, I think, why things get noted to death yeah. you know, at, at the studio level. It's not that people necessarily want to make bad stuff, shitty stuff, <laughs> yeah. but, but like they've got to make the money back. And it's, that also explains, of course, why everything has to be a sequel or... Um, you know, previously existing material of some kind. Oh yeah, definitely. It's uh, it can be very very hard, especially in the sci-fi and horror space genre, uh, to bring like a new you know IP in. Like that's why we see Terminator and we see you know yeah. Star Wars coming back. Although what's exciting about Star Wars, it's exciting for it to feel relevant again and exciting again in a way that it hasn't in years mm -hmm. like and i think they did it well in that so you know those three prequels happened yeah um, i like i say it happened as if like it was some <laughs> earthquake <laughs> it was an act of, yeah. an act of no god Listen, um, this tragedy a, happened yeah, yeah but i feel like there's been enough time to sort of built it up again with like some cartoons that have been good some video games here and right. there but mostly sort of laying low for a number of years yeah and then like slowly being like all right we're gonna we're gonna start doing this again was the coming of age of the of the kids who watched it in the first place the true believers right right yeah so um George Lucas has kind of uh, uh, relaxed his his hold on things, and I think I, I, I actually think he's really looking forward to seeing what's coming out. Like, it's there's not shoulder staring overness uh, yes. happening in that way, but everybody who works on it, yeah, is, has saw, was immensely influenced by it as a child. So yeah. it's really cool. It is. I mean, in some ways, it's like it's fan. These are fan movies. There's yeah. going to be 
bazillions of dollars behind them. But you get why, and I think fan movies, that's what's compelling about fan movies and good fan movies, and that's what's good about the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson ones, is that mm-hmm. he's a fan. He gets what it was about these movies that he felt felt in his dick, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. when he was a kid, he watched these and, like, it, like, vibrated something. And yeah. how you, when you watch Star Wars when you're seven, you know exactly what it was that made you react to it so strongly. Yeah. And so that's at least knowing that you're... Because in a way, George Lucas made those original movies. He doesn't get as much... He doesn't get the experience of watching those movies, right? Yeah, he doesn't know absolutely. what it is. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He doesn't see it from outside, I think. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think that, that when, when, when I've been working on it, what I really wanted to capture most was not like something cool or an awesome new character, oh, like spaceship. It's more like, what, what did it feel like sitting in that theater the first time? Okay. And that's hard because then you've got, because of the spoiler issue, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the speculation and stuff like nobody spec. I remember when I was I was in in the uh, taxi to go see Star Wars for the first time. I'm seven years old. My brother is eleven, and I had no idea what the movie was going to be about. I just yeah. knew it was called Star Wars and it'd be cool. And my brother um, bullshitted me and said that it was a, a filmed debate about astronomy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got rickrolled. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was much better. Yeah, it was much better. Um, that's great. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. One thing that you sort of mentioned that made me think about is that what I like about the cigarette smoking man's character, and or at least the way you see him in this, uh, what made me think of it was that it was like just a boring trip to the warehouse when he sets up his sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. What I like is that he's the guy doing everything. He's the one. He's getting his hands dirty. He doesn't yeah. delegate. He's the man on the front lines. Yeah, he's the shooter. He He's does not trust anybody. <laughs> he doesn't. What did you think of at the end when Deep Throat is like, "You kill him," and he's like, "I've never killed anybody." Yeah, that was odd. Was um, it? Is he? Yeah. What did you? What did you make of that? Did, did, did they say kill or murder? Because I suppose you could split hairs with murder. Like you know, I had to put someone down because I was doing it for the good of other people. I think that's but, what it is. Maybe. But it was curious to me. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so it seems like what, what, I could, what I could understand from that was he did not want to kill another type of sentient being. Right? <laughs> and that was, you know, it's okay. like, look, this is- I know I killed JFK, I know yeah. I killed Martin Luther King, but yeah. this random alien, yeah. that's too far. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. He I- wasn't looking at, like in such good shape anyway. That's the thing. Do you have to shoot it in the face? Why don't you yeah. just unhook it from the many machines you have just and just him, watch yeah, it die? Also, is that really the rule that the UN set? You have to kill him? Like, why not yeah. talk to him first? Yeah. Just it, a little while? It seems like a crazy yeah. rule. Anyhow, fine. And also, you shoot him in the head, I guess. Shoot yeah, you head. have to just shoot him in the head. <laughs> why not just... He's on life support. Just disconnect that. You have to shoot <laughs> the him alien in the life head. Support. Also, wow. Like they, they really know how to keep an alien alive. I guess so, so much so that you need to shoot him to kill him. Yeah. Like, they've, got, they've got this sorted out. It's yeah. going to be fine. Amazing. I'd be so upset for the doctor coming in like, are you fucking kidding me? I figured out how to keep an alien alive. I studied for 30 years yeah. just to find out where Look its lungs this. are. And yes, now, exactly. I need to shoot it in the head. <laughs> there was also some great, I love, um, I mean, there wasn't really bad extras acting, but I do love bad extras acting. Yes. Uh, and I feel like the guy, the guard guys were doing all kinds of like soldiery things that oh, I'm not geez. sure they necessarily would have. 
Wow. Like they're always like snapping extra salutes and oh, yeah. coming to super duper attention with their guns. And oh special, yeah. Well, if you think about guns. it, those guys have probably been there for two or three full days, nothing yeah. to do. And then when the camera's on them, they're After like, well, like, fuck this. I'm yeah. going to do this cool thing with my gun. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to fucking yeah. swing for the fences. I've been sitting and holding all day. <laughs> this is my time to shine. I'm a star. I totally get it. I get it too. Yeah. I get it too. It's just like, you know, as a director, you just... Sometimes you just want extras to not do anything. Yeah, you know? of course. I, you want to be I like... I completely understand. You want to do stuff. Yeah, but you want to be like, hey, the goal is that nobody looks at you. Yeah. That's what the goal of you're, your job is. You're, you're a chair, basically. Yes. You're like, oh, but, but, you know, I know, I've never said anything like that to anyone, by the way. Uh, no, I'm of course, like, of course. I will actually literally try to give extras motivation. Yes. Because, because what the hell? They're there. It's know? a hard... They're actors. Thankless it's, job. It is totally thankless. Yeah, I've, um, I, was on a, I used to be on this TV show where every episode would end with a big party. So it was always at the end, there'd be like 40 new people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would see the same people over and over again. And I always did feel a little... It seems so condescending to be like I felt bad for them. But I just was like, it must be very boring. I think it is very boring. And I think it's not very well paid. And I think that they are kind of herded around quite a bit. Yeah, people are rude to them. They're almost not people treated nicely. People are rude. Well, you know, there is a rule as well whereby if the director, as opposed to the assistant director, talks to an, an extra and tells them, well, you know this, I think, tells them to do something, that, that kind of knocks up their rate. They're, they're a featured extra. Yeah, then. so so a director, like, if, if one cared about this, and most directors don't, because why should they? The line producer who's yes. carving the budget cares about it. But you should be like not trying to get them to do anything specific. Otherwise, right. they're featured. Yes, I, I know. I remember that specifically. Where like, we need this extra to grab a glass and go there. I'm like, we don't have yeah, the we, budget. Can't do that. We can't tell it to them. We yeah. Maybe somehow... We can leave a note. Someone yeah. picks up a note. Who knows? Like, and you know, you do stuff that people do. Yeah. With a glass. Like, yeah, you know, what do people do with a glass? And then maybe they would walk over there, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and if you give them a line, no, we're talking. Well, that's... Big money. I remember my first time on screen was I had a very, very small... I had three lines in an SNL sketch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was with the extras. That's the only time I've been an extra. So I was with all, with all the extras... And so that's under five, right? You consider it under five if you have under five oh, okay. lines. I was an under five and everyone was like, how did you get an under five? How did you get this? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But it felt, it felt very sad. There was also this thing. I remember there was this older lady who was trying to jockey to be in front of the crowd, like right. in, in the frame of the camera. Right. And it just, I just felt a little I sad. get it. I mean, but I, th- okay, here's what comforts me is that I think I do stuff like that on a different scale in life anyway. Like, I'm jockeying to be in the center of frame in some yes, way. of course. So, like, we're all just, like, we're all just, like, hustling. We're <laughs> all hustling. Way. We're all we're, trying. We're all trying to get kicked up to the, yeah. you know, the under three lines. Yeah, uh, exactly. Lines, exactly. Right? We're on a rock hurtling through space. We just want something on our tombstone. Yeah. We're all just extras. Yeah. <laughs> pretending to be, like... Exactly. Players. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes you're the under five and everyone else is an extra, and sometimes you're the extra and someone well, else is the under five. man, uh, uh, Bill Davis. Yeah. Started as an extra. Yeah. There you go. And I like it's this episode is the, you solely see this actor coming out of the shadows and the character as well coming out of the shadows, right? Like this mm-hmm. is really like his episode and he gets to do a lot and Mulder yeah. and Scully are not in it other than like archival footage. Yeah. Um, it's also, how do you feel about this? And I think, 
I think I know how you feel about it based on what you said about him being a writer. I feel like part of the reason you didn't like him being a writer, maybe is that right, is that it felt a little too on the nose for you? Did it feel a little... I felt um, that he didn't seem to me like the kind of guy who would put himself in the hands of editors and respect their opinion for that matter. Like the kind of guy who, who thinks that you know, that liberals are pinko commies. Yes. Wouldn't necessarily... Like why would you think that something is a feat as... Uh, as a literary magazine would, would matter to him. But I, they, they established I it early on with him saying, you know, I'd rather read the worst novel ever written than see the best film ever written. Yeah, but then he changes it. A curious his... thing to say, but... What a weird thing to say. Yeah. It's clearly like that line is highlighted, like this will come in. Yeah. This will come into play. Like, we, we've, got to, we've got to bolster the idea that he really wants to be published. <laughs> but he later then says, I love movies. He's a guy who's constantly reinventing himself. Right in the beginning, he says, I don't yeah. touch the stuff. When he's offered a cigarette, he's like, yes. read stories about how those things will kill you. Then he takes up smoking and he takes up movies. He lies about being killed. So maybe it's like he's a guy who's like inventing himself as he goes. He's switching. Um, yeah, he uh, keeps switching. Identities. And he, I, he never, I guess he didn't. You know, I wonder if if uh, he would now be sort of self-published. Like, yeah. Like, oh my like, god. Turns out. Totally. Oh my <laughs> god. He He'd totally be a huge would. E-publishing sensation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he totally, he totally would be self-publishing on. Also, on, the, the he'd have a Tumblr for a while. <laughs> the first rejection letter he gets is so mean. So harsh. Who the? Oh my, oh my what god. What kind of editor is that? Yeah, just to have a template that's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't fit yeah, our yeah. vision, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You don't have to go out of your way to be like, this is drivel, pap. Oh my god. Yeah, so guy, harsh. If he'd been more encouraging, <laughs> Martin Luther King would have lived. Oh, <laughs> like, we should well, contact that editor, like, hey, in a way, by the way. you pull the trigger. Um, there was a, uh, uh, what I do like about him is that he always thinks he's doing the right thing, that he's doing w what's best for the country. You get his motivation, which I think is what the best bad guys are, right? Yep. But it can be, I mean, you've written a lot of movies. It, it, that's the one thing that when I watch a movie, it's a hard line to walk. It's, you want the character, the bad guy to be understandable. You want, want to understand his motivations. You don't want this, you don't want him to be, for the most part, just this, bad guy who like doesn't yeah. make sense and he exists just to be bad but you also don't want to like demystify him too much like that was yeah. seems to be a lot of the issue that people had with Anakin Skywalker sure. right you don't want a um, you don't want him therapized to the degree that he's just like everybody else yes or th that you feel you know so aligned to him that there's nothing particularly special about yeah him. but so yeah it's tricky isn't it um it's tricky writing. I mean, I, I think that, that there is something to... I was thinking about this today. Like, so, uh, There's some um, famous critic who called Iago a motiveless malignity. Right? Mm -hmm. He's like, he's someone who just likes to fuck shit up, yeah. basically. And if you if you looked at Iago, it's like, he, he, so he messes with Othello because he's a racist or because he's jealous or whatever. It kind of becomes less interesting. It's, yes. It's, I, I think it would be interesting. I, I think it's interesting when characters just seem to be out and out some kind of personification, I guess, of why people suffer. Like, it's, it's evil. Ah. So why, why do bad things happen? Well, because of people. But then once you find out, oh, bad things happen because of people because of sad childhoods, oh. it sort of becomes circu a circular argument. Well, the right. sad childhood one, I feel like, is the one that never works with bad guys. And there's a lot of, like, you know, you've seen uh, 
I'm a big horror movie fan, so the, there was a period a few years ago doing a lot of prequels, Halloween prequel, Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre prequel, mm-hmm. and all of this sort of boiled, up, boiled down to fucked up childhood. And to me, right. that's the least interesting right. motivator. Well, it also, I think, leads to a, a sort of throwaway idea of fucked up childhoods, too. Where, like, you're just like, ah, raped as a kid or something. Like, for instance, that's oh. an old chestnut. Where it's like, oh, yeah. Okay, well, now that has now become a plot. Point. And that actually doesn't really consider how serious and, and involved and intense and complicated something like that yes. is. Yes. You know, and for rape, for instance, becomes something like that where you're like, yep, she got raped. Yeah, so um, that's it. I mean, there's a TV show on right now, this would be a spoiler, where one of my favorite characters, who I thought was the most interesting character in the show, it's on right now, right. they explained it by saying that she was raped as a kid. And I was like, oh, well, first of all, what you said... Uh, you're just sort of co-opting this very, very serious issue that's still a major problem. You're co-opting that for just like a little plot thing yeah. or, or a character thing. Right. It's very reductive. Uh, it doesn't. It's not respectful. And also, it's in a way so simplistic. It's so easy to be like, well, they this one thing happened, so now they're this way. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not interesting. What I like about Cigarette Smoking Man is that he's a guy who loves his country, is loyal to it, Right. And understands that sometimes bad things need to be done for the greater good of what he perceives to be the greater good. Um, and I think that's what this episode, uh, you know, we we have problems with specifics of it, the tone shifting, all mm-hmm. of that, the mm-hmm. Rocky Road ice cream uh, analogy. But I do like that at least it treats Cigarette Smoking Man as this, um, in a way... A noble figure. Right. He's an idealist and he's a nihilist. But yes. He's sort of, you know, he—he—it's interesting because yeah, he sort of he teeters between. He must—he must do what he does because of a, a, a consistent set of beliefs. On the other hand, he believes that life is kind of meaningless. Yes. <laughs> so he's sort of—he's—he's—he's he's, he's self-inventing uh, yeah. constantly. Um, well, also never surprised at anything except when they change his story at the end because like I like in the scene where I mean I'm, and I'm saying he meaning but like both of the actors the younger actor as well as playing him and they're like you know we'd like you essentially they say we'd like you to assassinate JFK and he's like yep okay okay uh, <laughs> yeah not, I mean I I would even if I were the most badass guy I would first say holy wait shit. what I just want you to repeat it just so I'm getting this yeah. clear <laughs> like you He's he's efficient. Yeah. Okay. On it. All right. And what would be funny? Okay. 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 Can we find a patsy? All right. Okay. Got it. Curtain rods. I'm on it. Do you know the curtain rods was a real like? It's like a real thing. That's the thing. Yeah. They they knew they they checked off all of their sort of JFK. Yeah. Grassy Knoll. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was actually surprised that they bothered to go to the expense of shooting. They they shot a a down shot of, of the car. And of the, you know, uh, of the of the limousine. Yeah. If you, you know, what one, one is inclined to see this this episode is like, oh, this was a cheap, this was a budget episode, right? Because like, uh-huh. you, in a sense, because it's like it's one guy in a room. Yes. Right. And and Mulder and Scully aren't there, but actually is rather expensive because they had to do some tricky thing. I mean, the warehouse screams uh, uh, soundstage <laughs> yes. so loudly. Oh, of course. So that was yeah. that was like ten dollars. Very cheap. Um, but uh, but they did some stuff that is actually pretty costly. They 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 got they got some wide shots in. I assume that's in Dallas, right? The, the book depository yeah. that must have been hard to get the permissions and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, they do the downshot of uh, of the car. You know, it's not it's not actually a bargain basement episode. No, and a lot of it is him with the sniper. But but I think that's what uh, X Files does a lot is has. Uh, 
sort of chooses where to like blow its money. You know? Yeah. So so they so they save money on the warehouse, but then they mm -hmm. get to sort of blow it on the mm -hmm. the downshot and all that stuff. I had it for a little while. I was I was kind of. Uh, thinking to myself, why did they shoot the JFK stuff in color, right? And then the, the Martin Luther King stuff, which happened chronologically later, is in a technologically earlier format, uh -huh. as it were, as a black and white. Like, why did they go there? And my conclusion was that the JFK stuff, because of it is a Pruder film, yes. and because of the, especially because of the pink outfit, uh, has to be color. People remember it as color. Yeah. I think so. And yeah. the, the MLK stuff, I guess they I guess they just wanted to change, first of all, in the look. Yeah. So you got a sense of a different historical period. But also I guess there's the black and white thing, you know, there's this sort of metaphor of it. Yeah, and they work. say that pretty directly at one point. He's like you get a racist patsy and it just becomes a matter of black and white white or something like that. But I think you're right. I think the pictures from that we know from the MLK thing are black and white, and the Zapruder film is in color. Right. So to connect that, they so that was interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, that, that was curious. I thought, and I liked. I mean, there's there are things that they don't shy away from. So they could have taken an easier path to killing MLK, probably. But they actually have the 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 bit where they're talking about why they're killing him, and about the Black Panthers, and about um, you know a, a race uprising. I mean, yeah. stuff that actually is, I think, very. Uh, present it's very uh, very contemporary I mean what do you uh, mean I feel like we fixed racism oh we did I know I, that's what I, <laughs> my point is everything's fine yeah everything's uh, fine well, yeah what a snapshot of a bygone era this is <laughs> these problems have all been solved um, yeah. do you that letter that they referenced the FBI letter have you read oh, that letter the, the suicide letter right you it's only brutal out um, I've, I've, I think like I've read a, uh, an excerpt, but I haven't read the whole thing. Here, it's not very long, it's one page, but there's a, there's a, I just want to, oh, here we go. Just how, this is how it starts. Right. This is how harsh it is. It makes, here, this is how it starts. King, in view of your know, It starts rude, it's just Yes. Rude. Not and dear they, mister. And they call it out, King, in view of your low grade, abnormal personal behavior, behavior is misspelled. I will not dignify your name with either a mister or a reverend or a doctor and your last name calls to mind only the type of king such as King Henry VIII and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. That's how it starts. And then at the end, it doesn't just say kill yourself, it says kill yourself in 34 days. Uh, this exact number has been selected for a specific reason, it has definite practical significance not significance, you are done, there is but one way out for you, you better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. They basically said, so, kill yourself in 34 days is your only way out. What a crazy thing to that do. That is a crazy thing to do because it's not even, somebody actually wrote that with, with thinking that it might work. First of all, it, I mean, it, obviously it seems like a schizophrenic has written it, right? He's got the very specific number of days. It's got the strange references that are drawn in, like, King Henry VIII. I mean, that's not... Uh-huh. I, I think if you wanted to devastate someone, yeah. you, you wouldn't be like, you remind me of King Henry VIII. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Did you just call me King Henry VIII? Not only am I not going to call you Mr. Yeah. But I'm going to compare you to King Henry VIII. And there's more of this coming down the pike in 34 days if you don't watch out. This is what it says. Uh, you turn out not to be a leader, but a dissolute, abnormal, moral imbecile. 
This is, yeah. it's pretty, it I makes... Mean, certainly really harsh. I mean, it makes um, the rejection letter that Cigarette Smoking <laughs> Man gets like a praise in comparison. I would be great if they had the guy who wrote that letter. Turns out he's been writing all the rejection letters to the Cigarette Smoking <laughs> Man. <laughs> That's why it's so harsh. Yeah. This guy's just like, he's, he, the, the, he's like a frustrated writer that's trying to get his venom out in some way. Um, so yeah, so it starts off with JFK, then it goes on to Martin Luther King said so ups the ante, and then after Martin Luther King, as you said, it sort of goes into a very farcical direction with the Saddam's call, the Oscars, the miracle on ice, I mean, is nothing mm -hmm. sacred. Um, ice, yeah. And this is where he's got the patch, like he's trying to better himself and stuff. So this sort of show, the, the, the cigarette thing is, is sort of a signifier of where he is in his life. Like yes. what, what, So it feels like the cigarette is what activate, is, is when he's activated as right. like this uh, tool of history or whatever it is. Right. He wants out with the, with the nicotine patch. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he's driven to smoke. Yes. yes. I mean, I, in a way, well, I think we were talking about this before. Sort of, I find that 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 his using the cigarette, cigarettes as a sort of stress reliever to me is less <sighs> sinister than just so than someone who, in smoking, sort of encapsulates this idea of a of a big system that doesn't care about who dies. Uh huh. Right? Like that, sure, that's what the cigarette. You know, we've taken down the cigarette industry a notch. Yes, right? we have. But maybe at the time it was very much on the sort of edge of what, of of like beginning to see that these were people who didn't care about um, little people, yeah. as it were. Or right. Who consume their. That's interesting. That's a good way to look at it. I, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, the tobacco lobby was clearly a lobby backed by the government that did not care. It's like the ultimate personification of or of the corporation that doesn't care about the people, literally peddling death. Yeah. And we've really, it's only in the last few years that, you know, bars don't have cigarettes and cigarettes mm -hmm. have gotten. That truth campaign really was very powerful, I think. It, really it was. Worked. So now we're just selling uh, cigarettes overseas more avidly. Is They're like the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, pressures government foreign governments to oh. uh, stop smoking regulations oh my like God. many of the things that we think we've sorted out we've just sort of um, moved off outsourced the, the yeah issue. it's like you know oh my god yeah it's like when you like sweep stuff out of your like if you it's like you eat a wrap of something and then you throw the wrapper over to your neighbor's house like it's yeah. not my problem anymore yeah. that's what we're doing yeah. um I did think them killing the alien, um, I thought obviously Martin Luther King being killed, being affecting is unavoidable, right? In a way, it's sort of shortcut. It's like cheating. Mm -hmm. Like, you know mm -hmm. what that event was. You have a connection to it. Um, in your life, especially with stuff that's happening right now, obviously, it, it resonates. But I thought the them killing the alien was also affecting to me. Like, I, I really felt a little yeah. bit of the gravity of that situation. He or she is helpless. Yeah. It's kind of... You know, and they've got, they look, they don't look cute exactly. No, but there's like feel a, for them. Yeah, there's like an unknowable beauty to them. It, it seems yeah. like this sort of thing that we can't grasp or explain. And that's what makes it like mysterious and sort of gorgeous and beautiful. And yeah. to kill it in such a violent and cruel way just to shoot him in the head. Yeah. It just seems very, um, it seems cruel. It seems antithetical yeah, to what no, aliens are. I mean, maybe it's because I'm, very schlocky but 
but I would have, would have wanted to sort of see the alien's face in the moments before, maybe like the possibility of a moment of of uh, understanding or of like of the alien understanding its fate or uh, looking into the eyes of the cigarette smoking man, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and I guess maybe they didn't want to do that. Maybe the uh, the the prop didn't hold, wouldn't have hold, held up. <laughs> like yeah, maybe somebody looking at Sometimes a mask. Very practical uh, considerations. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... He Here, yeah. let me come up with a bullshit reason for why they did that. So that it's sort of like you're at a distance. You're removed yeah. a little bit. Uh -huh. Your perspective is still like as an observer, not as a participant in all the stuff that he's doing. Because you don't... You know what? It's interesting you said that he sort of takes everything in stride. The only times he's thrown are one... Uh, when he gets uh, this uh, one when he first kills JFK he has this moment of like hmm. he sort of hyperventilates for a second before he gets himself together right where he re that's the first that's his first step into this new life right mm -hmm. and so that I thought was an interesting moment very quick but there is a moment where he's like he's sweating in the theater then he's like what have I done or, right. or and then the other moment that he lets his guard down is when he gets a call that his story's going to be published and he like kind of giggles there, he gets giddy yeah he giggles I like I like that moment from from the actor yeah it's good from, from Bill Davis yeah and he never has he's never has to do that I bet in any part he's ever played moments like that do sort of uh, uh, broaden the character in a great way yeah they, 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 just to see someone like imagine a circumstance in which someone might be happy is like makes someone so much rounder yes uh, yeah and um, and it is touching it's strangely touching it is I heard you know Mitch Hurwitz the creator of Arrested Development yeah. he said in an interview that character is inconsistency and I mm -hmm. think that was that's an interesting way of of looking at it and I think it's what you're saying which is you know you see someone do what you don't expect them to do which is how we are right we're unexpected we do things you can't really predict what we're gonna do and it's that moment when he like gets giggly shows to me so much more about the character like he's always this stoic cigarette smoking guy but he just wants his <laughs> he just he wants just some wants... sort of recognition yeah for, no, for all the stuff he's done there's real specificity when a character does something that's unpredictable and you know somebody it, uh, as, as long as you can sort of find a route back to what you know about the character in some way, I think it, it uh, yeah, it absolutely serves to kind of render them three-dimensional. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it, and it's interesting because Cigarette Smoking Man in the X-Files is, is, he's not really a person, right? He's more of a symbol. He's a symbol of the conspiracy and he's a symbol of, the, you know, he's sort of the guy who's done all these big things in history so he mm -hmm. represents something more than he is a full character so it's good when there's a moment like that where he does get to be a person as uh, as well as sort of a symbol of this bigger thing and I think this episode does a good job of that even if it isn't canon and even if it's mostly just bullshit spouting from Frohickey uh, next time I see Sigurd Smoking Man I see him differently now right no absolutely uh, I think it makes him a better villain actually yes the possibility that he might not be uh, a villain. Yes, makes him better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that what. So, if you look at Star Wars, I am not. I don't. I didn't feel betrayed by Darth Vader changing his mind at the end, changing right. his heart. Somehow. Right. 
So that was clearly, that was okay for yes. me. The, the, the sense that there was something inside him which was different. Yes. Uh, I think it's compelling and yeah. believable. And, um, and kind of, yeah. It, this is a, again, to bring up Hugh Grant, one of my favorite underrated thrillers is a movie called Extreme Measures. I remember, with Gene Hackman, it's right? Gene Hackman and Hugh Grant. And at the end, the big battle that they have, they're on opposite sides. It's them arguing. And it's not, it's not a fight or anything. There's fighting before that. But at the end, it's Gene Hackman stating his position, why he's doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, you see his point of view and you kind of get it. You're like, from where you're standing, what you're doing does make sense. And what he's doing is really horrible, heinous, immoral, unethical stuff. But you understand why mm -hmm. he's doing it. He's doing it for the greater good. And then you have Hugh Grant making his point, which is mm -hmm. obviously the point of the movie, which is the good guy's point. But, but that's what I like is when you understand where the bad guy's coming from. Well, it's harder to write that kind of stuff. I'm sure oh, it is. Because it's like, <laughs> wait a second, I have to come up with a good, I mean, I know the good guy has a good reason, but the bad guy has to have a good reason too? Jesus. Yeah. How do I get there? <laughs> uh, it can be hard. So what happens in Star Wars Rogue One? <laughs> ah, you softened me. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay. Uh, so just well, uh, I, I, throw I, it in. You know what? Although I can't spoil it, I think I can sort of consolidate what is already known in a, in a convenient bite-sized form. Right? Okay. It's, the, it's about the... It's, a, it's about the rebels who find the Death Star plans. Okay? So in that sense, you can... You, you know where it is situated, the kinds of things that are going to be involved. Wow. Uh, so for me, right, because... I'm not one of your Empire Strikes Back guys, actually. I think it's a great movie. There's so many great things in it, but for me, it'll always be Episode Four or Star Wars as I knew it then. So, like, this was the perfect job for me uh -huh. to work on. Like, I would have been less interested, not that I had the choice, but to work on an Episode Eight or Nine. Yeah. Uh, this is this goes right to the heart of what first got me. Yeah, and it's. Um, I think what's great about those old movies is they they imply a bigger world than they show, mm -hmm. and they seem to have history. They don't seem right. Like to me, really good sci-fi fantasy. I, I would say bad sci-fi fantasy seems like the world only exists when the camera is on. Yeah, really yeah. good sci-fi fantasy like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. It seems like you're coming into a world that's been living and breathing for a long time. Yes, and, and I think gesture at things outside of yes. uh, of the frame, right. uh, as it were, and which which is why like explaining things is a is a two edged sword. Uh, yes, I understand what you're saying. You know, uh, and that's something that that is often a result. So, like w when you do when you sort of uh, test a movie, you market test a movie, right? The, uh, there are two big companies who run this kind of thing and they, they ask questions of, of a test audience and um, one of the questions they'll ask is, you know, was there anything that was confusing? And that's a kind of an effed up question. Because, <laughs> uh, as my brother has said, nobody ever like leaves a movie saying, I love that movie so much, I understood everything. You know? <laughs> it's like, wow, that's good, great. And there's something you don't understand. You still think it's awesome. I couldn't have told you at the end of that first meeting of Star Wars what the hell the plot was about. Yeah. You know? I mean, I knew they blew up the bad guy place at the end. Oh, yeah. You know? And there are good guys and there's some bad guys and they flew around. And yeah. It was awesome. Uh, but um, so explaining, what explaining does is kind of make that world smaller. Yes. Because first of all, it, it, it creates these weird bits of dialogue that are unlike what anyone ever says. Yeah. You know, like the classic thing, like, you know, 
Kumail, you're my brother. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. Being um, your father, I mean, it is my yeah. duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, actually, even I, you know, I, I find that one of my bad takes when writing is to have people say the other person's name because they don't do. They generally oh, don't yeah. do that unless you're mad or you're you're trying to show that you remember their name. Anyway, anyhow. Um, yeah, so if you explain things too much, obviously you don't want things to be completely fucking baffling and, you know, uh, without any resonance. But like if you explain things too much, you're, you're making the world smaller. Yes. And um, so uh, the show, I'm on the TV show called Silicon Valley. That's got to be a huge challenge all the time. Yes. Right? Because it, you're dealing with yes. the internet and technology. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's that thing of where like we have to be... But what Mike Judge, who's the, the creator of the show, what he said is they, they play this game when they watch like CSI or one of those like labby shows mm. and the game is called, yeah, I know I work here, which is <laughs> right. like whenever a character is like, all right, well, I'm going to run into the resonator and, and right. do this and then do that. And the other characters should right. be like, yeah, I know I work here. Why are you telling <laughs> Who are you me? talking to? Yeah. Yeah, this stuff here where Scully should be like, yeah, I know, I'm a doctor. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, so, so they said that we try and avoid those things. You know? um, you, it, there should never be a point right. where a character could conceivably say, yeah, I know. Right. I've gone to school for this. We see each other every day. Why are you telling me this? And they're like, so are you trying to tell me that? Another, <laughs> another one where you're oh, like, yeah, you exactly. ever write that is feeling so. Well, it's also interesting because on our show, there's the potential for a lot of jargon and not for a lot of jargon that people don't care about, right? So you've got to uh -huh. get the story across and you got to make it seem like these characters know what they're talking about, but not get too mired in the technical aspects of it, right? Yeah. So, so the last episode of season two, there's uh, basically we have this video that we've set up somewhere and it's gone viral. And basically we have to set it up so that the servers, it's too much traffic for the servers, right? Right. So it's we have condor, all this. The Condor video, right? The Condor the video, there, right. So there's a lot of jargon in that video, but for someone who doesn't know what it is, it still has to make sense of like, oh, things are heightening, they're getting crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what this wire is doing, but I know it's important to the characters and they need to do it. And yeah. I felt like the, the writers did a really good job yeah. of balancing that. I like, think that, that your show does a great job of that kind of stuff. Oh. Because you can convey in tone, and like you can judge by people's reactions to, yeah. to something. Uh, what it's supposed to mean and it, yeah. it um, far from making one feel stupid which is what you'd imagine when you don't understand something it actually makes yeah. you feel smarter I think so uh, I mean you know every I like stuff that doesn't talk down to the audience you know yeah. and uh, have you ever seen Primer Primer yes holy crap that doesn't talk down to the audience oh my god that makes no concessions <laughs> they're like are you the smartest person in the world? No? All right, well then good luck oh, with this movie. Fuck you. Here we go. Um, Have you looked up online? There's like yes. diagrams and stuff? There's like incredibly lengthy diagrams showing that I didn't even begin to understand the yeah. intricacies of the plot. Well, but that's what's beautiful about that movie is when you're done, you're like, I have no idea what happened, but I right. fucking loved it. Yeah. And I was engaged and I was enthralled and I'm excited, but I don't know really what happened. So, so when yeah. you're saying like, was there anything that was confusing? Be like, yeah. Yeah, but who cares? Who cares? It was great. Yeah, I think that people's engagement, the best kind of engagement with, with movies, and I, TV kind of falls in as well, is like, is on a much more emotional gut level and on a sort of cerebral level of sort of comprehending where everything came from and went to, you know. Yeah. It's a sort of dream logic that works or doesn't anyway. It's interesting. I've been watching movies, 
you know, because um, I'm I'm writing a movie and I th hopefully we're gonna get to make it. So I've oh. been like thinking a lot about scripts and stuff, and mm -hmm. also so working with the director, reading books about it, and but watching movies, and it's interesting to see. Obviously, you know everything there is to know about this, but for me, it's my first foray into it. Everything. See, <laughs> you wrote the book. Just like when when close-ups happen, right. when. You know, when it's when you can see my shoulder in the frame when it's over to you, when you can't yeah. see the shoulder, when it's like a wide shot, who you first see in a scene, like all that kind of stuff is stuff. Yeah. Obviously that works, uh, you know, psychologically on the audience, but they don't actively think about it. But it's interesting now to like notice it every time I watch a movie. Like I was watching Four Weddings and Funeral and I was like, oh, uh, they punch in a lot when there's a punchline or right. they go to a two shot when there's a punchline right. or and that'll be Nick Moore I think I think Nick Moore edited that actually I believe he anyway I probably know the guy who, who the was, DP? Uh, was cutting that no 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 the uh, the, the editor, editor. Um, yeah uh, and I think if I ever taught film I would uh, although it is kind of very reductive like say okay look at this scene and, and, and tell tell me how many camera setups there are yeah what they are and, and sort of why yeah two uh, T's cowboy yeah that's <laughs> um, and um, I mean of course there are various yeah well, one could go go deep and boring into this but there are various ways where there, there's a certain sort of uh, uh, analytical way to go about it where you're like well every scene is really going to be a wide shot and then two shot and then close up or some version of that yeah. or you can say like actually no this is not how it's going to do we're not going to chop this scene up into three separate shots into three shots in which everything is everything is is from A to Z is covered and then you just cut in between them but like this shot is going to start the whole first half of the scene is going to be in a Y because that's the way that it should be and then we go closer you know uh, all that kind of stuff is is super groovy uh, yeah I think it's really interesting and exciting like when they and so this episode does a good job there's a lot of close-ups of Sigurd Smoky mm -hmm. Man's face because it's his episode and it's a lot of you hear Frohiki talking and you're seeing a shot of his face because it's his perspective yeah yeah, I wonder, that might be partially the JFK influence, right? Because they, yeah. they, they would um, get really up into people's faces yeah. and kind of glory in the, uh, the, uh, the unbeautiful look of a, of a face at a in, in, a, in a certain light at a certain time. Like I'm just thinking about all the, like the shots of Tommy Lee Jones and, and, uh, and yeah. Joe Pesci. Where like you're really looking at these kind of grotesque, which not say they are grotesque looking, but no. you can you can sort of get up in someone's face in a way that makes the human face itself look kind of bizarre. Oh my god! You know how sometimes you're at a hotel and you look in that little mirror and it turns it's horrible. Out, it turns yeah. out to be like the really magnified mirror, and it's, yeah. you feel like the elephant man. Yeah, your pores are yeah, <laughs> size of dimes. Um, so that must have been part, you know, uh, part of what drew them to uh, Bill Davis uh, as well as his performance. And you know, he's like, that face is a very lined, like that face seems to 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 be going through like the nightmare of history, right? That's what he represents. Yeah, that's so right. There's a, this cold, dead hand of history, and you think you can escape from it, but actually, uh, it's all being determined. Oh, his, like his face is just. Uh, a roadmap of that. Yeah, each wrinkle is a world leader he's killed. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be too he much. Gets a new wrinkle. Yeah, after he killed MLK, like a CG <laughs> line appears on his forehead. Um, they got the idea from this from the DC graphic novel Lex Luthor, the unauthorized biography, which is, a pen. I haven't read it, but clearly it's uh, Lex Luthor's perspective of events. Uh, right. There's a great story that Neil Gaiman wrote that's about, that, that's from, I believe, 
Sleeping Beauty or Snow White? I think Snow White's mm -hmm. the, the witch's perspective from Snow White, mm -hmm. and you don't realize it until the end. It's a short story; it's only about right. 15 pages or so. I think that stuff can be interesting, although there is the can. pitfall that we've talked about. Well, it's becoming its own old chestnut, isn't it? Yes. The provisionist uh, villain. Oh, uh, totally. A, uh, can have a really flattening effect. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see sort of like a, one of these revisionist versions of villains where they're actually they're just horrible. <laughs> I mean, they're not just horrible, but you're like, okay, I kind of get that you're showing their story, but actually that it's not perfect perfectly explained why they're so vile. Yeah, um, I, I, I would like that. I mean, well, Hannibal is an interesting example of that, right? Because um, there was a point where Thomas Harris started writing, sort of explained Hannibal. Now, Hannibal had said, uh, nothing happened to me, I happened, which uh, was a wonderful statement that's of, great. of a villain. Yeah. Right? I think that's in Sons of the Lambs. But then in Hannibal, the third book, you found out that his his little sister was killed by Nazi uh, oh, come on. soldiers and eaten, which is like, oh, this, so this is the way that he is. And that's what kind of made him less, yeah, uh, less fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, but it's like, nothing happened to me, I happened. By I, I mean the Holocaust. Yeah, by I, I mean, you know, World War II. <laughs> yeah. The old explanation via World War II. Wow. Uh, and so, but, but I believe that Brian Fuller and uh, Stephen Lightfoot, who's the, the other kind of main writer on that, sort of decided to, to flip it back to Hannibal being inherently something that happened. Yeah. He is a thing as well as, I mean, in some ways he's the most human because he, he has this incredible range, like symphonic range of emotions oh, that yeah. he can understand, but he's also a thing. Yeah. He loves music. He has a great appreciation for art. He, but he also is a murderer. Um, but he has this passion for other stuff in it too. I, I think of you know Halloween and the the, the the whole point of the first one is that what's his name uh, Sutherland? What's his name? Donald Sutherland? Not it's not Donald. Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance. Right. Of course. Donald Pleasance is like he's not a person. He's right. such, He's a thing. And That's he's, right. He has a name called. He has a name, but in the he's credited as the shape because he's he's right. a thing. It's just a murder thing. That's what it is. And then in the prequels, he has a horrible childhood. Blah blah blah. It's it just it, it, that that just um, happened. Another thing I read was that Bill Davis didn't like the episode at first and thought it really didn't go with his character. Demystify the character. Yeah, he thought it demystified the character. He didn't like that it sort of got a little goofy at the end. He didn't get the right. talent as much. Yeah. And now. He um, now he likes it more. Uh, by the way, this episode, November 17, nineteen ninety six, it got a ten point seven. I mean, what is, it, is that? What does that mean? I'm sorry, I should know these oh, things more. Oh, ten point seven is million people, or, or how many do you think? Seven. Uh, it's seventeen million people. Seventeen million people. Holy mackerel! That's so. So many. nowadays, because the audience is so fractured, that would be that would be bigger than the biggest show of all time. Right. But but not big show, the biggest show, the biggest show right now. now. I think only like Walking Dead can get close to those numbers. Um, and Walking Dead, you know, it's the it just got nominated for a outstanding directing for a drama series, and then he lost to uh, NYPD Blue. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else you want to say about this episode? I thought this was fantastic. I had a great time talking to you. I, so did I. That's all I want to say about this episode. This episode of the podcast uh -huh. and this episode of the show. No, this is such like uh, this is such a treat. I oh my I'm god! Incredibly lucky. To I was so my favorite podcast. So cool. That's so crazy. It's, I, I was so excited when you tweeted at me. I forget what the first one was, and I was like, 
I saw the blue check mark and I was like, oh my God, because I've been a fan of your work for, yeah, for so long. I remember the night I watched American Pie. I was in Pakistan. I was drinking apple soda. I remember specifically, <laughs> it was the middle of the night. It was summer vacation. I would stay up all night, watch movies, sleep in the day. I would watch like three, four movies a night. And I watched American Pie and I laughed so hard alone. My brother was asleep, alone in a room, <laughs> laughing my ass off. And I remember pausing the movie in the middle, being like, I don't want this to end. So, so if I can pause it, it'll last a little bit longer. It gives me so much pleasure. I can't oh, I truly, truly love that it movie. It is like uh, hands across the ocean, man. <laughs> it is, right? And Lee and I talk about this where we're like, we're both video game fans. Well, she was in North Carolina, I was in Pakistan. Well, we both were rescuing Princess Peach, you know, like we were playing Mario. We both went on these same quests. That's like, that is the hope of uh, fan fandom yeah like sense of underlying connection and that's what you know your goal as an uh, artist is right to like have people have these connections you're not that's ultimately you know when you're talking about this kind of shot or this thing or you're writing act one act two all of that technical stuff comes down to eventually a connection with the viewer that changes their lives absolutely yeah quite so all these all these little decisions that you make add up you hope to some sense of kinship and that so that's why like i i love it when when people have uh, enjoyed something that i did especially if it's in like a totally different context than i imagined yeah in the first place or like you know i didn't tell them to go see it and they're like hey that was great but like you know i saw this in you know x y and z yeah place at some odd time yeah no, it came at the perfect time for me because it was when, you know, the feelings are awakened, but the skills have not been acquired. <laughs> and the skills honestly never really got acquired. Um, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I'd love you. to have you back, uh, yeah, depending I'll on what you I'll, I'll email you and we'll set up another episode. Excellent. Why me up? All right. Thank you. Hey, wrestling fans. And non-wrestling fans. Check out our podcast, You Should Love Wrestling, the show where we try to convince our friend Hi. to love wrestling. I hate wrestling. We talk about all the best and worst parts of wrestling. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Spills a lot of beer. Or Yoshiko. That's a literal sex doll that wrestles. All in an effort to help you love professional wrestling. Subscribe to You Should Love Wrestling on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.